thought that was pretty good. What do you think? She's from there. He's from here. Hanging together. We make quite a pair. She's left-handed. He's right-handed. Surely, Surely not to be disbanded. We are the Mighty Mounties. With Josh Arce. And Michelle Christine. Hey. <laughs> cool. Can can you remember what episode this is? Episode 13. Oh my gosh. Tridecadobophobia. Something like that. People yeah. are scared of number 13. But they we're are. not. So do you know that, um, you probably know this, but... Uh, in apartment buildings, they just go from like level twelve to level fourteen, and it's like <laughs> if you're on fourteen floor, like it's the thirteenth floor. But it's like superstition has ingrained itself so much in society that they're not putting a floor thirteen in apartment buildings. To me, that's insane. Uh, yeah, people are insane. But that's just like I, I literally, I the first time I noticed that, I like. I, I was just in shock. And apparently, I think in China, four is a really lucky number. Eight, eight. Oh, it's eight? Okay. Chinese aces is two eights. Ah, okay. So okay, so then that'd be played a lot in poker then, if you were eight. In China? Yeah. They get it all in pre eights. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. So do the, is there a big poker scene in China? It's kind of growing. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. All right, cool. So what's our what's our topic or topics for today? Wow. Wow, wow. Um... I wanted to talk about all this Conor McGregor stuff. Mm. Yeah. And what's cool about this Colin McGregor stuff, Colin Connor. <laughs> Connor. Connor, Connor, is that I was, I've been aware of UFC, like most people obviously know what UFC is all about. Um, and when there's big fights happening and feuds brooding and stuff like that, you, you pay more attention. And I'd never heard of Connor until that whole incident where he threw, I think it was like a dolly or something into a bus. Yeah, a metal trolley. Yeah, a metal trolley. Well, they call it a dolly in America. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, like, and it was outrageous. It, like, broke through, and I think some people got, like, cut with glass, and I think one of the fighters couldn't do one of their fights and everything like that. But because he was such, like, a superstar and had put UFC, like, like kind of helped it, skyrocket even more into stardom um he basically got a slap on the wrist because i think he was from he's from ireland and if he got a criminal record it would make coming to america nearly impossible uh if people wanted to keep him out so you know i think that was part of the reason he got a slap on the wrist but it's amazing what you can get away with if you have a bit of fame behind you yeah he he didn't get anything sentenced he paid a fine got two weeks community service or something and then uh he's fighting again or he fought again in october just he just fought him and Khabib had it out. You know what? They fought fair and square, and afterwards there was no problems. <laughs> yeah, there was. Yeah, there was the <laughs> the calmest post fight that I think I've ever seen. I mean, Twitter was blowing up with just like, man, it's so boring queuing up politely to leave this place after nothing happened after that fight. So Michelle has mastered the British art of sarcasm, mm-hmm. because if anyone hasn't seen it, um, what happens after? The end of the fight, try not to spoil it. Um, Khabib jumped over the uh, fence and attacked out of the octagon and attacked uh, Connor's jiu jitsu uh, expert uh, instructor. And uh, and then his friends were hitting him as well. Two friends were there. And then two friends jumped in the octagon and won them after Connor, uh, you know, after a big fight, he's a bit tired, he started hitting him around the head from behind. 
Chaos. Yeah, it was absolute chaos. I mean, there's no no more low blow than punching some guy in the back of the head. That's absolutely ridiculous. And it's so funny because, you know, you want to come down and it's so easy for Connor to have ended up the hero in that story. But at the same time, he threw that fucking dolly through the bus. So it's like, you know, like you, you feel sympathy in a way, but he also did one of the most massive cunt moves there is to do to people. So it's kind of like, you know, it's a bit karma in a way. Right? Yeah. Dana White uh, was in the ring uh, with Khabib and he said, I'm not going to put the belt around you because I think people just throw too much stuff. Um, they're already people kind of, you know, mob, mob mentality. Mm-hmm. They're already kind of getting up there. So, um, and then afterwards, they, they asked Dana White, Oh, are you going to give Khabib the belt? And he's like, Well, you know, I have no problems giving the belt. But. The Nevada State Commission, oh, you know, I don't know. They're going to have to have their words. And those two guys that jumped in, they've been arrested. And, you know, they're all going to face fines and charges. And No, because he said that Connor isn't going to press charges. Oh, no, not yet. You're right. Yeah. And then after, he finds out, he talked to Connor. And Connor's like, uh, I'm just gutted about the fight. Let, let those toe rags off. <laughs> it don't matter. Yeah. That's funny. And he did, I love that like he did kind of try to like throw that Nevada State Commission under the bus in the sense of like he's trying to push all of the punishment to like come from them because he knows that like he doesn't really want to do anything about it. Like when these things happen. They benefit so much. Oh my God. They get so the UFC. much press. So much press. Everyone was talking about it. Like I was just yeah watching that the, yeah, the actual, you know, Twitter blow up and all the people that had taken footage kind of of the mom mentality and all the fighting and everything like that and the guy Dana White or whatever you said his name was yeah. he was just like oh yeah you know I mean the governor did did have to 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 get out of there so you know I'm sure you know that and kind of almost tried to just make it be like oh well embarrassing yourself in front of the mayor is almost punishment enough but like he just yeah. wants to do anything or say anything it, it's like um uh, I don't think this would be a terrible analogy but um if if Dana White was uh, at school and then he he kept getting two kids to fight each other and like uh, the teacher would come in like, all right, all the classroom has to be back on detention. And then Dana White would, would be the guy that get the money for that. So he'd be like, oh, yeah, they're really naughty. Um, probably have to go to the headmaster. <laughs> oh, gosh, terrible. But he's the one kind of arranging it. And everyone's like, fight, 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 fight. Oh, or if you're going to have to come back and it pay pay the money to Dana for the room charge. <sighs> New naughty kids, you. Gosh. But it's just a lot more money than that. Yeah, and people will say there was one guy that made it, like a YouTube video or something about how he's no longer, you know, a fan of Khabib after all this and that. But at the same time, like, he knows, even, like, the people that comment on it, you're going to get so many more views on your content when something crazy's happened. Like, that's when everyone is looking to you to, what are you going to say? Like, what's Joe Rogan going to say after this on his podcast? Or what's, like, you know, people just, they fake outrage and they're really just super excited about the opportunity to, like, you know, (laughs) get more fans from just talking about how insane the end of the fight was. I don't think anyone wishes it ended differently. Yeah, and we talked about how the world's gone mad on a previous episode to check that out. But I think at some point we've got to talk about how people are benefiting from this. Um, You know, because UFC has definitely grown massively as a result of this sensational Irish man coming in. He's not only got the skills to pay the bills, but he's got the gift of the gab. 
and it can really get under people's skin. Mm-hmm. And some like I wanted to um, go through some of our favourite of his lines because there are some peaches in there, aren't there? Yeah, we did kind of just binge on watching Conor McGregor videos on but, YouTube, and I regret none of that time because none of it. Oh my god, I did not like. That's the thing. I I barely knew who he was. I knew about the Dolly incident, but I had no idea his level of trash talk. It is just. A plus top top like and he has the balls to just say it like right in front of all of these incredibly like jacked amazing fighters like he doesn't care if he's just trash talking like you know uh, Floyd Mayweather or um, whether it's like him on a panel with like eight other guys he just is relentless and like they don't even know what to say like I think part of them does realize it's hilarious like how can you not realize that it's hilarious but then of course the other part of you is just like I fucking hate this guy because he's he'll literally get away. He'll come late, late to a panel just just to make more of an entrance in like a mink jacket. Like who does that? That remember you told me about that pinstripe suit that he had, and then if you zoom into the pinstripes, it just says "fuck you." Like that's outrageous. Like he's he's some kind of cheeky, that's for sure. So what's your favorite um, uh, Conor McGregor slight? Okay, well there are many. Um... I think, um, I just want to go back to how, I think one of the biggest actual slights, and not necessarily my favourite, but and people might not even see it this way, but when he actually told Jose Aldo how he was going to knock him out within the first 20 seconds with his left, he's going to come in too strong on the right and hit him with the left, and he's just going to go out. And then for him... No one else had beaten Jose Aldo at that point. This guy was ultimate champion, and this guy was being massively disrespectful to him. Conor was being massively disrespectful to him, in a way. But he was also telling him how he was going to do it. And then the fight goes down, and bang, in 14 seconds, he's knocked out the champion. He's got the belt. He's got the first belt. And I think that in itself was amazing. Yeah, well, I mean, there's nothing better than trash-talking someone um, and exactly what you say to them uh, comes to pass because then you just look like a legend. Like that's And the greatest thing, I think we were talking about this too the other day, is like what's great about Connor is because he's so over the top, because he's so outrageous, if it happens, he seems like a legend. But if it doesn't happen, he still somehow comes out a legend. Like it does, Win-win. It's so, yeah, I know, he's, he's really funny. That's what you want. No, I think, I think my best or my favourite actual uh, was the funniest was when um, he was... Uh, so after beating uh, Jose Aldo for the first belt, he's then taking on Eddie Alves. Mm. And then at the conference, Eddie's like, oh, you know, he's, he's trying to come back with some chat, but it's not as good as Connor's. Connor's always funny. It's always yeah. on point. It's just like, it's always there. And then uh, he's like, he's like, I'm going to give you this opportunity to apologise <laughs> for the words you said about my family. And he's like, big Irish balls up in your face. <laughs> Oh, big Irish balls off in your face. Like, he just kept saying it to him. And, like, Eddie's like, right, you're going to pay for that. You're going to pay for that. And then uh, kind of beat him. Beat him. Yeah. And he got another belt. And he's kind of the first um, fighter in UFC history to hold two titles in two weight divisions simultaneously. Yeah, that's wild. I mean, I watched that too. And yeah, it was that guy tried to give it, but he he just was getting absolutely demolished by Conor McGregor. And I would say one of my favorite things too was when he was like, it was a big panel of a bunch of fighters. I think even Ronda Rousey was there maybe too. Like it was like male and female, so it was a big 
panel of the fighters and he was like trash talking a guy saying something about how like oh yeah you know but you 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 might not like me but you sure like that fucking paycheck like you were only making like 50,000 a fight and then you made 500,000 and he was just like completely like laying into this guy like like who who the fuck are you like I put you on the map like I I'm the reason you're making enough money that you what did he, did he say something about his wife Snickers too like he said when I agree to a fight with you, you go home to Mrs. It's a celebration. It's red panty nights with the Mrs. When I when you I have a fight with me. It's so funny because you sound so Jamaican when you're trying to do an Irish accent. Well, I love it. It's love uh, it. it's in my roots. Yeah. So basically, yeah, he's like, yeah. If you agree to a fight with me, you call home and tell your missus, like, put on the red panties tonight. It's time to celebrate. Um, for anyone that couldn't understand the uh, Jamaican accent by Josh, just there. <laughs> well, you know, it's in the blood. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I just like a lot of the stuff. He's just having fun, and he's also at the top level. And I think that's the, the combination, which is really powerful, mm-hmm. that's really working for him. Um, a lot of people were like, before the fight, just literally on the night or night before the fight, they're like, do you want Connor to win? And I was like, yeah, but I also want him to pay the price that any other citizen would for being so reckless with that dolly. Like, celebrities shouldn't get an exemption, and I think it's a sad state of affairs that we're kind of letting uh, celebrities and politicians get away with more things. And it's all fun and games until you get a giant metal trolley in your head, you know? Um, Yeah, it's wild. I mean, to think, like, if anybody else had done that, they would be in jail. Like, that's just this completely unacceptable behavior. But the the world is not fair, and people are treated differently. And to pretend that that's not the case is just not seeing reality for what it is. Like, people do get treated better when they have fame, when they have fortune, because uh, people put them on a pedestal. That's that's just it. Like, I remember Ewan McGregor said something about how the day that he realized that everyone, like, he's been living in a celebrity bubble, so everyone treats him better uh, than they treat other people. And so now he knows humanity as, like, a, uh, you know, it's not true... He's not being treated truly like an individual the way that most people are. And he kind of felt weird by that. He's like, everyone's just giving me their best all the time. And, like, that's kind of fucked up. And it is. But it's like, even though his was getting the benefits of that, he still felt like it was a bit... It made him feel bad because he's not seeing people for how they really are. He's seeing them all trying to impress him constantly. So that's kind of interesting. It's kind of a fake bubble, and uh, I don't know, like, um, a lot of people are very upset with uh, actually what happened in the octagon after Khabib jumped over and his uh, colleagues did all that crazy stuff. And, you know, apparently the governor was there and he had to run out of the room. Yeah, I said that. Yeah? Okay. Um, no, but <laughs> Thanks what, for listening. But what I, what I wanted to reiterate <laughs> with the Khabib aspect... Yeah. Was that he he if he really wants to have a fight with that jiu-jitsu guy, or cause him some damage or whatever, doing it just after the big event, probably not the best time. It's it is just a big media spin. It is just another technique, I think, of just getting more attention for the next fight. You know, and this is dangerous territory. And we're kind of joking. I wanted to talk about the government running out of the room because it's a bit like Dana White saying, oh, you know, I'm, I'm the white knight here. 
we don't really endorse any of this, but he knows that they're, they're kind of savages that are... Well, well there's a savage mentality. I'm not saying, you know, savages. I'm just saying that they, they're going to operate on a, an all-or-nothing kind of mentality if they can get away with it, you know, and do these things to get more money. Well, I think, I mean, it takes a certain type of person to think going into a ring and beating the living shit out of each other is a good idea or being like a kid like Habib and wrestling bears. I mean, the reality is I think everyone knows that to be a UFC legend, you are going to be very wild. Like you're going to be wild, a risk taker, you're going to be aggressive, and you are going to be the type of person that after the adrenaline of beating Conor McGregor, um, that you're going to go and jump out of the octagon and do some more fighting. Like, because I don't know if you've ever felt this when you've been in like any sort of competitive sport, but I'm usually pretty like, yeah, like, you know, laid back for the most part. But if I'm like, if I'm playing a sport and someone's fucking with me, like if I'm playing soccer or football, whatever you want to call it, um, and I'm running and there was a girl like grabbing at my, like my sweater, like, or my jersey, like, and the ref couldn't see it, but she was grabbing it and pulling it to try to slow me down because I was faster than her. That makes me freaking livid. And I will swear and I will say things to that person I would never normally say, but, like, when you F, when you, you know, fuck with me when my, like, testosterone or whatever it is is, like, flaring, like, that's when I, that's when I'll say things that I was like, Jesus, did I say that to that person? But so I'm, that's probably what happened to Khabib, like, on such a higher scale. But, like, he has this beef with Connor. Connor's, you know, shat on his religion, shat on his teammates, like, try to, you know, have his team kind of, do you know some trash talking and whatnot and so he's felt personally slighted and he is just raging on hormones or whatever testosterone and so he just can't even control himself like that's what happens like it makes sense to me that it would happen at that moment well it brings raises uh, in my mind the interesting question that we uh, we kind of uh, faced um, or, or considered last night and that was the one about if your partner came to you and said, look, <laughs> shit's gone down. You know that guy that was really annoying. Uh, I accidentally run him over and he's in the boot now. No, no, worse than annoying oh. though. It has to be like a, like an asshole or a dick or something. He's, like a, he's a consistent dick. Yeah. And I just saw him and had the opportunity. An accident. It was kind of an accident but kind of deliberate. Run him over and now he's in the back of the boot. Um, yeah, he he's not breathing. <laughs> What would you do? What would you do as a partner? Well, it's, well, what really spun that was obviously watching that uh, the YouTube videos or the podcast or whatever of Tom Segura, his wife, and then that, was it H383 guy and his Ethan wife? Ethan and Gila yeah. and Christina P and Tom Segura. Yeah, yeah. So they were kind of talking about that a little bit. And so we like, you do have that conversation where you're like, oh, would you help your partner get rid of a body if, you know, they came home? I was like, yeah, like I accidentally killed this person and, you know. Or would you shock them to police? Or yeah, or would you, yeah, would you let the police know? And I I always think there's a third option, but go on. What's the third option? You just tell them, I'm going to pretend we never had this conversation. And if we, it does come up, I'll be like, oh, I I thought it was a joke. Go back in the car, sort your shit out and come back. Mm. That isn't good third option. That's a very, yeah, that might be one of the best options. I might go with that option. Um, but my dad would definitely, I think, help me bury a body for sure. Oh, my God. What would what would your mom do? 
She she would she would uh, support me. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Honestly, I think most people's parents but would. I I think she would have so much guilt about where the body has been disposed of that she would end up going to police as well. So, you know, she's weak. Mm. She's weak. Well, I also don't think that you would tell your mom. Like, that's not who you would tell. You wouldn't tell someone you know it would really damage them. Like You, you, need, you need someone strong. Yeah, you need someone strong that will help you. Someone who's got some skeletons in their closet. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, I think it really, like, depends, like, on... Like, if you really think... Because what, what Tom Segura's wife... Was her name Christina? Christina P. Okay, Christina P. What I liked about her... So what she said was, okay... If it's something that was like premeditated first degree murder, yes, of course I'm going to tell the police because like that's fucked up. Like you thought about it, you planned it, you executed on it. She's like, I'm next and so were the kids. But like if it was kind of like, oh shit, like maybe I'd had a few drinks when I shouldn't have and I, I accidentally like hit a bicyclist and they're dead. She's like, I'd be the first person to help dig that grave. So for her, it was like, it was an accident and he fucked up. I'll help him. And if it was premeditated, he's obviously got some like, like killer tendencies, then she would like report him. And I think that that's like a better mantra. Cause it's like, yeah, you don't really want to be helping some guy. If like the next week he's like, oh yeah, got another person in the boot. And you're like, fuck, I helped him the first time. Now I like, what, what have I started? This is a Pandora's box. Well, they're both comedians, Tom and Christina, mm-hmm. and they had Bill Burr on, who's obviously a great comedian. Mm-hmm. He's known them for years. Mm-hmm. He's known Tom for years. He says Tom, Tom's lucky to have Christina because without her, he might be a serial killer. Yeah, I I mean, I got that vibe too from just watching him because apparently like murder, murder solving or murder you know, cases is like his number one Netflix uh, binge item. Plus, he seemed to be bringing up all the murder stuff. So obviously, it's going through his mind. And then when Christina said, oh, would you help me bury the body? And he's like, yeah, I'd be like, let's go. He almost seemed excited by the prospect of Christina murdering someone and that he could help in the burial of that person. So yeah, I mean, uh, but if you can channel it into just watching the shows and discussing it on your podcasts instead of actually murdering people, then, you know, good for you. Good for you for being able to that's a sensible sociopath there yeah having the right whoever that is i'm not saying it's tom i think he's hilarious and amazing got great banter Mm. but he likes the dark side of life that's what i'm saying and uh i think you can always choose the light even if you appreciate the dark Mm -hmm. that's the key yeah and i'm very just happy that so far in my life i haven't thought about murdering anybody it's too much work i say you have to get you have to get the body in the bath. You have to melt the uh, the fingerprints off mm. with acid and get rid of the teeth. You have to smash the teeth out with a hammer, get the dental records out, cut the body parts up. I've watched The Sopranos. It's a lot of work. Yeah. That's a day's work. I've got stuff to do. I've got mm. podcasts to record. Yeah. I, can't, I can't be doing with the body. I think the only thing that would make me want to kill somebody is if they like killed somebody you love. You know what I mean? Like, I think my dad, if someone murdered me and um, someone said, hey, Gord, uh, you know, you can either, this guy will go to jail for the rest of his life or, like, you can murder him um, on the DL. Like, what would you choose? And my dad would 100% choose murdering that person if, like, he had those two options. Would there be torture involved or? Probably. (gasps) Shit. Yeah. It's dark. But my dad loves me so much. He would, like, fucking fuck that person up. Are you kidding me? I'm always telling you to stay alive, hmm. you know. 
You gotta be careful. Yeah, it's better to be alive than dead. Good. But it's kind of funny because like I, I've been kind of chillaxing here in England for a bit because I'm going to Edinburgh in a couple of days for some business, and so I've been kind of just like charging up my battery from the European tour I just did on a motorbike, and uh, so I haven't been as like active on social media. And my mom called me, and she's so worried, and she's like, "I just want you to know that you have family that care about you." And I'm like, "Yeah, mom, I'm fine." And then my sister said, "Oh yeah, it was just hard because if we don't hear from you for a couple of days, like you could have been murdered." And I was like, "What are you talking about?" Like, what? People aren't going out murdering people very often, as much as I guess some people like to talk about it. Like, the odds of me getting murdered are like, what? I mean, come on. It seems to be a mother's greatest fear and fascination. Mm -hmm. So, it's like, okay, that's their biggest fear. I understand. But then they also just get so consumed with it. You know, it's been 12 hours. You haven't texted me back. It's like, dude, we were on a flight. Or or, uh, I was in a... I was having a life. Yeah, I was having a life. That's it. That's it. So it's kind of funny where it's just like my my mom's like, oh, yeah, it took a while. And it was, was, yeah, it was literally like a day of like no response. But I don't know, maybe it was longer and I'm just, uh, I'm just making up some mad shit here. But to me, it felt like a day of no contact. It did not feel like multiple days. But yeah. Well, maybe your mom's listening to this. She could be our second listener. Yeah, yeah, she could be. She could be our super fan that we have out there floating out in the interwebs. But I do feel bad. I feel bad for, like, I don't have any kids, so I literally cannot comment on what it's like to have kids and the worry that you have about them. But I remember once my dad said, you know, ever since I've had kids, I've just worried every single day. And I was like, oh, my God, that's that's heavy. Well, all I ever hear about parenting is the lack of sleep and the lack of appreciation in the teenage years from the kids and then the worry. And then people will say, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. I don't understand. I don't understand. I think it changes Is it chemicals? Yeah, I think it is. Chemicals. It's probably chemicals. Um, But yeah, and I think it's probably like seeing that they look like you. And I think when you, (laughs) that when they, when you are the only thing that's why they're alive right now, like I think that bonds you. Because they said something about like on Survivor, because I always talk about Survivor, is like when you go through something really hard with somebody, like you come out of it the other side and you're so so close so like people that were you know in in alliances and maybe they both get voted out back to back but they're going to be like bffs forever in the real world and i think parenting's a lot like that it's like you're going to battle you're trying to get these kids to adulthood alive and you just work so hard and then they just have a piece of you because of that so i think that's why like it is like the like life's greatest challenge and i think that you know, when people, people oftentimes don't feel like they have a purpose and they feel a little bit listless or I don't know if that's even a word, but. Yeah, it is. It is. And then they have a kid and then. If you're feeling listless, make a list. (laughs) Ooh. And then, yeah. Get some wisdom here. And they have a kid and then, then it gives them that. Or a kid. You can write a list or, or have a kid. Because <laughs> I think my sister loves being a mom. I And I think that my mom really enjoys being, really enjoyed being a mom, even though we were hard. Um, well, she she got lucky. Potentially. I don't know, well, your sister. <laughs> I think, I mean. She's got, of, she's got two good ones. I think part of it is luck for sure. Um, because I've seen. Because you, you're also playing lottery whenever you, you have are. a kid. Because you, you don't are. know what's going to come out. You are. And it, usually it's fine. Usually yeah. it's great. Um, I'm not saying anything's terrible, you know, it's just what's not compatible to your life, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, I've got, I've got, I've got a wonderful sister, you know, who has downs, hmm. 
and she's the the most loveliest, kindest person. Always wants to give you a hug. She wants to sit next to you. Beautiful. And then my brother, he's got he's a smart guy, absolute nightmare. Hmm. Most well, well, he was growing up. He's probably a nice guy now. I should I should uh, contact him and find out. <laughs> But no, it's true. It's a bit of a crapshoot. And, and, you know, people always say that, you know, you just want your kid to be healthy. I'm like, oh, boy or girl, oh, I just want them to be healthy. I just want them to be healthy. And then you meet someone who has a kid with disabilities and then you understand why people say that because depending on the disability, it can be, you know, a lifelong commitment because they're not going to leave the nest at 18. Uh, They're never going to leave the nest. And then you have the guilt of when I die, because I watched this documentary, it's like when I die, I'm going to worry so much about my child because I give them everything I have and all the love and attention and whatever. But, you know, is the, is their care when I pass away going to have the same sort of patience with this, with this individual? And, uh, yeah, just the, the fear you feel of passing on. It's just like, oh man, usually, you know, your kids end up helping to take care of you a little bit as you age, not like the other way around. So yeah, it's, uh, it's so funny how like these can like segue, 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 and I'm like talking about like a documentary about parents with disabled children, but yeah, no, it's not easy. It's not easy having kids, and it is a bit of a crapshoot. So, you know, <laughs> but everyone wants to do it, and uh, most people, not everyone. And you know, if if you, I think I think if you put the work in to to being a great parent, usually it works out. So, well, my sister has one of her children were diagnosed with autism, and. She, um, gifted. Uh, well, she, I don't know exactly how, you know, yeah. what, what type of girl she'll grow into, but oh. my sister recognized at a very young age and already kind of enrolled her in, in classes, did a lot of research on her own and was like, okay, if your kid um, is on the spectrum, um, they're, they're very much like rules orientated. Like, so, you know, if you, yeah, that's them, true. Yeah. If you tell them one thing. And then you tell it over and over and over and over again. They will start behaving in a way that that respects that rule. But if you break it even once, <sighs> then they will always remember that there was a way around it. And they will every single time from that point on be like, oh, no, that one time it like, you know, X plus Y didn't equal Z. So uh, therefore, why ever do Y again? And so my sister, like learning that because my sister put the time and effort into it, um, is going to teach her daughter to to learn the best way possible. And she's trying to give her the best possible, um, you know, options to, to grow into, a, you know, a wonderful young lady. And so maybe she didn't have to do that with her oldest, but it's just one of those things. And maybe she'll grow out of it. Who knows of, of kind of the, the downsides of it, but... Yeah, um, I respect my sister a lot for for caring so much about her kids that she puts a lot of time and energy into um, figuring out what what might be um, something that's an aspect of their personality or what they're diagnosed with, and then trying to find solutions that are the most effective given you know current research. So yeah. So there's there's tough family dynamics, whatever your circumstances, and uh, you were just telling me about The Crown season one. Yeah. You know. You think um, being born into a place of uh, dignity and uh, and and you know fortune, wealth, mm. um, it's it's a given. But when there's certain responsibilities and duties and conformities, it can be a bit of a a, a different story. Well, so, I mean, the Queen. I think now she's like ninety one or ninety two. Uh, and she's still working. Like, well, who's still working at that age? Oh, I mean, cool. Yeah, like, I mean... She still has to write a speech every Christmas. <laughs> Otherwise, what are people going to eat their Christmas pudding to? Yeah. 
30, like over 30 years after a lot of people have retired, um, she is still uh, going strong. And I think that, yeah, some people might say it's a silver spoon they're born with in their mouth. But when you think about like the constant pressure of like, like she's a celebrity that had no choice in the matter at all, you know, and I'm not saying that if you choose to be a celebrity, it gives you if people carte blanche to invade their privacy. I don't at all. But she literally had no choice. And so my dad's like, my dad's not really a fan of the royal family because he thinks like, oh, it's not good for people to have class and that sort of thing. And so he's always really, really hated kind of the monarchy in that sense. But I have a little bit more empathy because, I mean, they didn't, you were not, she wasn't like, hey, you know what, I want to be queen. Like, she was born into it, into a system that already existed. And, you know, if you were born into that system, you'd probably not leave it either because you have a sense of duty or whatever. And so who am I to judge the fact that she's just doing the best she can in the role that she was born into? Can she play Call of Duty anytime she wants, though? Um, I don't think she can, no. Well, that's... That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it is. If the Queen can't do it, then who can? Because <laughs> I used to play a lot, but, I mean, I think she could do it sometimes if she's on vacation. But, I mean, the amount of appearances, I think they said that, um, like, just her and Philip, I, I don't know, it was in the tens of thousands, I think, of appearances they've done around oh the world. Oh, God. Just nonstop travel, and someone's got to keep looking after that crown. <laughs> it can't be easy. And also not being able to... She's never really been able to have really a public opinion on anything because her whole existence has to be neutral, neutral, neutral. And I'm quite opinionated in, in most ways. Like I, I've, or I guess I should say I'm like, I'm very free to speak my mind. I'm the, I never, I don't put, I don't censor myself that much. I do to some extent, but sorry. And, uh, I just knocked Josh's arm. That's why I said, sorry. But, uh, but yeah. And I can't imagine you, it's like a gilded cage. Is that what they say? That's right, yeah. So you'd be more like uh, Prince Harry. Yeah. Whoa, look would, at that. I would have totally been a Prince Harry. It's so much easier when the, you're the second born. Oh, yes. Or you're the marrying partner in this yeah. relationship. Because mm-hmm. the limelight's not really on you. You can kind of cruise a bit, set up your own kind of charity, uh, talk to plants if you so choose. <laughs> yeah, no, my sister having kids really took all the pressure off of me, that's for sure. Yeah, that's nice. Mm-hmm. You're a free rider, free yeah, spirit. Yeah, and you don't have any kids, and nor does your sister. So, unfortunately, oh. a lot of that weight is on you. Oh, no. That's unfortunate. Well, you know, we will see. <laughs> yeah. I've heard there's uh, too much of a bird on the planet anyway. I said a burden on the planet. I don't know what came out of my mouth. Um, but, um, you know, when it, the... The planet's supposed to be able to only sustain two billion people. We've got seven. Well, the IPCC, which is the International Panel on Climate Change, like I took a climate change class when I was in um, my last year of university. It was really interesting because the woman is like, (laughs) because she talked about climate change and it's like a hot button topic for like certain like religions and stuff, which I don't even know how it's become even a, like it's like a very politically or religious charged thing because a lot of, People want to say that it's not real because of, you know, being funded by gas companies and then they're like Christian or whatever and they try to just... Anyway, long story short is she got some death threats from teaching her climate change class 
that she had to literally start every class with just to let everyone know that um, science is silent when it comes to religion. And I was like, oh my God. She's like, so please don't write anything on my door about, you know, this and that. Because like, honestly, we science is silent when it comes to religion. And it was just insane that she had to even do that. And, uh, and yeah, so she's like okay this is what hap- this was what will happen if we keep up with the pollution and this and that and these are the degrees and you know it's going to be more floods and droughts and heat waves and and uh you know cold spells and it's just going to be more extreme weather more often and then she be like and then don't forget science is silent when it comes to religion and all of those things are coming to pass now and that was like probably I did that in like 2010 so it was like 8 years ago maybe now and Everything that she said and we read about in those reports is happening, if not to a worse degree. And so they just said again that now um, we're probably going to blast through the 1.5 degree um, heating, heading towards 2 degrees. And it's just going to have such disastrous effects on the on the planet. And like that's even with hoping that we can have sequest- like sequestration technology for carbon. And that's like, I don't... I don't understand not believing in science. Just like I don't understand why the 13th floor isn't existing in a building. Like, how are facts and science not something that people can get on board with? I don't understand. Big Irish blows up in your face. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Really? People prefer to be distracted from their problems and living in the the comfort of of their lives. Yeah. And uh, assuming that some other scientist will will be able to effectively action that through the governments on the top countries and that business interests uh, based on, you know, polluting oil companies or such like won't 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 win the day. Yeah, it's always, yeah, it's funny because they always say, "Oh, but the economy." The economy will really be damaged if we move into renewable energy. And one, like, that's not true at all. Like, you can easily start moving to, like, why don't gas companies then create solar farms? And then they make the money off of that. Like, it's not like they had to be uh, in in contrast, perpendicular to each other. They could work parallel. Like, it, it doesn't make any sense of oh, the economy. And the economy is something humans created and the planet and water and air is much more important than the economy. Like, we need to have air, clean air to breathe. We have to have clean water to drink. And we have to have, like, food in our bellies. Like, if food, uh, air, and water are the most important three things human beings need. And economy is literally just something we invented to help with trade. And so I just don't understand that argument that, oh, the economy, well, no, like if you have four things that, and one thing will be removed forever, and one is food, water, air, or economy, like the three things you need are food, water, and air. Those are the things you need. Uh, but anyway, it's it's just a bunch of rich people that have all the power and that uh, create laws that cater to their businesses, and that's just the reality of right now. Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, just a dangerous thing. Uh, I don't know whether it's just a habit that gets formed. Because how good can that golf, uh, every golf resort be, golf resort be, you know? Because that's where they're hanging out, a lot yeah, of them. Yeah, And then uh, having their parties and uh, maybe a few uh, 
What were they called? Um, Hookers? No, no. Oh. When, it, when they go on a giant boat ferry. Oh, a yacht? Yeah, yachts. Uh, okay, yeah, they have yachts, don't they? Yeah. Okay, so you've got five yachts. I mean, do you need any more? I mean, it's just competitiveness, isn't it, as well? Yeah, and I think that um, greed is addictive. So I think that when you have a lot, you get very, uh, you get very selfish and you just want more and more and more. And um, people in poor communities tend to share more and then people in wealthy communities like uh being rich you tend to get a little bit more um what's the term you're a little bit more like threatened or a little bit more like um uneasy around other people like you constantly are feeling like people want what you have like if you go mm. to certain communities that maybe aren't as wealthy like the amount of sharing that goes on the amount of help that goes on the amount of like community that exists is so much stronger than if you would go down like a rich street in Beverly Hills like they, that's all like competitive my neighbor has a Porsche I want a Porsche like it's not it's not a helping community, but yeah, you go somewhere more, yeah, in, in the, like a lower income area and, and people are helping because it's, it's necessity, you know, like if you're a community strong, you, you will get through those tough times easier. And yeah, I just, it's just, you feel like people are going to try to take from you the more that you have. And then that perpetuates the selfishness because you're like, oh no, it's only my family. Only them can do well. Everyone else you can't trust. They just want a piece of our pie, you know, and so I just think it's – and then that just, like, perpetuates and perpetuates and perpetuates. And then if you get into politics, you're already kind of that selfish way and me, me, me. And then that's just the kind of message and vibe that you give to, to the rules and the laws that you create. So, Yeah, a lot of people uh, get into politics uh, for the right reasons as well as the wrong as well as the same number who get into it for the wrong reasons. But what happens is the people who stay within that system and flourish and do well within the political system um, have to become politically minded and, and cutthroat and, you know, conform to the party and win over the party and their interests are for the elite. So, you know, if you're going to stay and you're going to thrive in that environment, you have to be a proponent of those things. And, you know, you can get a few Bernie Sanders trying to pop up, but then they get so ostracized by the media. Mm. And then the big businesses have such influence in terms of lobbying uh, government and then also influencing people through media. It's just so, it's so tilted towards that. And, uh, and everyone's perpetuating this idea that you've got to have a family when, uh, you know, I think it's great to have a family. And if you're going to be a family person, that's great. It takes a lot of time and resources, and if you can put that into it, cool. But we do need a lot more people putting time into thinking about the whole planet as a whole and how we're going to get out of this mess, because those families are not going to have a planet to appreciate. Yeah, no, that's true. And I think in, in a lot of developed countries, the birth rate is dropping. And they did actually have the one you know, one kid rule in China for a long, long time, a long, long time. They're only now starting to change it, um, where I think if both of your parents were, um, you know, single, single childs, uh, you can have two kids, I think now. So, um, there, there's some places that the birth rate is still high, but it's, it really is crashing. 
in the Western world and stuff like that. So it is naturally starting to happen. But, you know, at the same time, it is kind of scary that you get licenses for cars and licenses, you know, for, you know, even just like pet licenses. But if you want to have kids, it you can literally just have as many. You could have like 15 kids and there's like no law against that, which is kind of frightening because it's like the most... It's the biggest thing you could ever do, and there's a lot of people that do have kids that in no way um, have the means to take care of them properly or um, maybe even have the the ability to take care of them in a, in a loving and safe and secure home, which then uh, creates a lot of um, unhappiness and, uh, and, and, yeah, just, just pain. So my, my grandma from Ireland. Mm. She had 14 brothers and sisters. Oh my gosh. Mainly sisters. And uh, my grandfather had 15 brothers and sisters, mainly brothers. And uh, I just think after 10, you're going to start forgetting people. <laughs> you know? Like, uh, is Tom number five? Is he, is he our relative? Is he my brother? Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, Barry. Oh, Barry's... Barry's the eldest. How do you feed that many kids? Like, oh my gosh, the amount of work that those parents must have done to keep food on the table, I can't even imagine. Imagine being the youngest. You're never getting fed. <laughs> or maybe you're maybe by then your your older siblings are like working as well and can like contribute to the family. The older siblings become parent figures to the younger ones. They do. That's mental. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, again, that's the thing in the past. So we, that's grandparents, great grandparents. There's very, very few. Like honestly, I'll tell you, I don't know what was going on with the uh, depression. <laughs> the uh, great, great grandparents, but yeah. whoo. Yes, but I'm one, I'm one of three, and then you're. Oh, what? You're like you. Yours is a bit more complicated because you have a few half, half siblings and step siblings and stuff. But yeah. Yeah. There's only one to me, though. Yeah, there's only one from both of your parents, yeah. So, and then my sister only had two. So if you look at the trends, like your grandparents had yeah. a boatload, then maybe the next generation are having maybe three or four, and now like this generation, most people are like having two and that's it. Yeah, but it's not going to matter how many you have, you know. If the planet's not there, yeah. if you haven't looked after the planet, we're not teaching our kids to be... Living in a sustainable way. I go down the train and I have to turn lights on. Off. Oh, 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 off, sorry. Yeah. I turn them off. You know when people sit? Uh, in the day. I turn it off at night as well. Because no one's no sat there. there yeah. You know, if someone's using it to read yeah, something, yeah. I won't turn it off. <laughs> like, All right, mate. You've life. had enough. <laughs> Stop reading your paper. Go to sleep. No, I don't do that. I turn it off when it's just been left on. But people don't even notice. They don't even notice. Most people don't notice me even turning it off, mm. let alone it was ever on. It's daylight outside. No one's even thinking about, like, conserve, mm. think about energy. You know, people do recycling and think, oh, that's, that's, that's going to be a contribution. That's like turning up to an uh, earthquake with a dustpan. That's the level of impact that we're having. With our current measures. We need to fucking get on it. Yeah, and it's hard because, I mean, you can try to do that, but even if you take a plane flight somewhere, apparently that's one of the worst ways that you can pollute 
the earth. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. You the know. carbon footprint of that would yeah. be a lifetime of someone who just drove. Yes. And so I've, I've flown a lot to, to my gigs around the world. And, like, I do feel guilty for that because, like, I mean, if I wanted to do gigs in Australia and I went by, like, boat or something like that, I don't even know how long that would take. But And some of these big boats do pollute quite a bit as well. But, yeah, I mean, sometimes it's a, it's a necessary evil in a lot of ways. But, like, if I... I wish I could take a plane that was more environmentally sustainable. Like, of course I could. And, but the only way these, those are going to be built, like it's like a lot of these things have to be, be government initiatives because it's so important that it forces the industry to change, you know? Well, the people are so detached from the government now mm. that there's no accountability. Only if they do something really terrible, which is always linked to these ideas that are being pushed in the media around economy and jobs and uh it's just not going to add up you know um people are worried that other people are coming into the country and stealing their jobs if someone who doesn't speak their language is able to steal your job <laughs> you, you won't good enough at your job yeah that's true that's insane so um people got to be uh, stop so focused so self-focused and uh and get some perspective we talked about perspective on uh, our last podcast yeah so check yeah. that out that's that's a good one yeah uh changing perspective can always change uh the results but you know it, you can get a little bit down when the whole world is is being being really, really crazy but when we think about what some people have achieved to turn around ideas around owning other people that are going to just do whatever you say in terms of slavery and then be like, oh no, that was clearly wrong. When you're, when you're discriminating between people just mm-hmm. because of the level of pigmentation in their skin. Oh, you have more, so you look slightly different. No, you need to stop that. Or saying that people have different rights just because you have different genitalia. Mm. We're all human beings. We all need to gather together and stop being divided by our governments mm. and these business interests and get on top of it. And I don't know, it's crazy. Until enough people keep talking about this, I don't I don't think uh, things will change. Well, it's bubbling a little bit. Like, I know there's, like, a lot of women out there that were protesting um, because the, the guy in America, I think it's Kavanaugh, um, was, you know, had been accused of sexual assaulting a few women and... Um, one of them testified against him and uh, had pretty powerful testimony. And he's he's uh, did get sworn into the Supreme Court. And I know that at points that can feel like a big blow. Um, but at the same time, obviously, you know, you don't want to... People... It's hard because you have to... You want there to be also uh, a court of justice to prevent. Because there's a lot of people, you know, that maybe they went to jail... Um, and they didn't commit a crime, and that's a horrible thing too. So you know there there is a legal system out there that you don't want you know one person to say something and it affects someone's uh, livelihood. And it was indeed not true. I'm not saying that this wasn't because I'm sure you know I, I wasn't there, but the it is kind of can I feel like right now for a lot of women in in America and maybe around the world, it's really hard when you feel like people are getting elected into these really important political positions that haven't treated women with respect, that have abused women or sexually assaulted them. And it can feel really deflating. But the one thing that 
is at least some sort of silver lining is that hopefully um, it'll fire some women up to get into politics or to protest or to try to turn this ship around because, you know, it's we've been in a position where we've been weaker or being, you know, even just in Saudi Arabia. Now, finally, women are allowed to drive and like we're supposed to celebrate that. But like what's what's sad is that they weren't allowed to drive to begin with. So, you know, we are the underdogs a little bit in society. And it can feel really disheartening when you feel like people who are running the government, you know, have sexually assaulted women or and how how are they going to um, create laws that are fair and just when they already, um, you know, treat themselves as the superior sex. So it, it can be very deflating, but I hope that in some way it inspires people to to get fired up and to, to fight back and to show support, and at least with these kind of hashtags that some people might think are ridiculous, but it shows solidarity and it shows that you're not alone and you're not isolated. And I think that's very important, you know, to know like, okay, yeah, I did survive sexual assault and other people can too, and we can be strong, we can report this earlier, um, and we have people that are out there that will support us, and yeah, so, because I try not to only think of the negative, because if you do only think of the negative, it can be very, very uh, depressing, so I'm tr- I try as best as I can to think of, like, the positive outcomes, because if everyone was just negative and sad about the world, the world would be an even worse place than it is now. True, and, uh, you know, there was a great result, um, when the women were banding together yeah. and protesting outside. And then, uh, and uh, you know, they got to the justice and uh, Amy Schumer got arrested for joke stealing. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, she she got arrested, yeah. but not for the joke stealing. No. Okay. No, no. Um, yeah, I won't comment on that part. But, yeah, uh, I think it's, yeah, it's good to, we have to stand up for what we believe in and, and what is right and, and just because it does... It doesn't take a huge amount of people to really enact change, you know, like there was a lot of protests that even uh, some people in, in, you know, um, native people or uh, that say there's going to be oil pipelines and this and that going through like, and, you know, they stand up for it and maybe not every time you win, but a lot of times even a small group of powerful or um, hardworking or, you know, protesting people can really fire up and and change things so i don't want people to ever feel defeated when it comes to injustice you know just use it as as fuel to keep fighting and to grow your cause right well i think uh that's where conor mcgregor started you know (laughs) he was uh if we look at his 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 start in life it wasn't great and he was uh he was a plumber and uh he said fuck this and he walked out, he went on to the doll. And he wanted to do the the MMA that he was uh, studying up until that point, full time, with his doll money. And his missus supported him, hmm. believed in him. You know, he had some acne. He wasn't he didn't have the voice or the lyrical nature that we know him for now. But he had a belief and obviously he has a uh, innate skill and talent. I think that's important as well for these causes and for these uh, these things that people want to try and achieve. If they can get people that have influence at some level, that are good at uh, orating, that really makes a huge difference. And he developed that himself. But as a result, he changed his life. He changed the UFC's world. And he's, he's affecting the world now 
now in a bit of a negative light. Um, but he's doing such a great job of providing distraction that we're not really kind of focusing on all this other stuff. We're talking about Conor McGregor. But if we take the same line as Conor McGregor and we apply it to the things that are important, hmm. maybe we'll be talking about those things instead. Yeah, no, like you can just need a few kind of fiery people uh, that are charismatic to like be fighting for causes that are that are good or that will help uh, improve the world. And, you know, and it does take people that are tough, like Elon Musk. He might not always, you know, have the, the best way of saying things and he might kind of blow up here and there in ways that you might not agree with. But, you know, he's taking on the oil and gas industry, having electric cars. He's taking on... Um, kind of like uh, the uh, aeronautical industry or the aerospace industry uh, with, with SpaceX. And, you know, he tried to take on the banking industry a little bit with PayPal before he got ousted. Woo. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, you can, you some some smart, fiery people, like, I, you're out there and, like, uh, people will, will follow you and will help you um, in your cause. And uh, I think... You know, if if you're doing stuff that that's good and that's going to help the planet, you just need you just need to come up with a few ideas that will change the way that we utilize things. And I think you will get uh, people to support you and back you and buy your products because I think most people want, you know, like I said, air, water, clean food. Like we want the air we breathe to be clean for us and our kids or families or we want the water to be clean for us or our kids or our families and we want like food to be grown well without pesticides and stuff like everyone's known someone that's died of cancer and i think as a whole we want these wonderful things and we just need there to be kind of tough fiery smart people that come up with these ideas and like you will have customers like absolutely yeah. you will like yeah. no i'm i'm going to say to conor mcgregor now because obviously he's listening conor i know you're listening um we need you <laughs> we need you to start shifting the focus away from the crazy fight stuff. A little bit, just a little bit. We know we enjoy that, and I know you're going to still have some great fights. But for the future that your son's going to live in, and for the future of all of the generations to come, we need a little bit more focus on the benefit benefits for all of future humanity and the benefit of the planet. We need to start thinking of those things and start actioning those things now. So if you could do that, That'd be great. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think that if everyone just thought, oh, if I can just do something a little bit in my day-to-day life to make the world a better place for, like... <laughs> I'm so sorry, it's neat. Gesundheit. <laughs> for, the, for the future generations, I really think that, you know, we could have a much better world. So, yeah, just do your part if you can. But if you can't, then, well, whatever. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's a cheery note. Mm. Um, that's how we want to want to keep going forward on this and uh you know it's what it's all about so hopefully someone has listened to that and that's going to make a difference okay <laughs> until next time until next time i thought that was pretty good what do you think she's in there he's from here hanging together we make quite a pair She's left-handed. He's right-handed. Surely not. To be disbanded. We, we are, are the Mighty Mounties. Um, I was going to say until next time, but we already said it twice. Be awesome.